Bandwidth for February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's February 11th. 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 102. This week, we talk about robots and creativity. Here we go. So did you look up the chocolate dial stand? Have you found some to satiate your your strong desires and urges? Now, here's the thing that worries me, is that uh, they're all over Amazon. So I don't know if it's like three-year-old chocolate dials or if they're still making them. Like, that's Dude, what, the thing I'm worried about. What do you think is going to happen? Let's say you get a three-year-old Chocodile. Was it going to go stale? Is it going to be... Is it turned into a Chocogator? <laughs> Chocolate butterfly. <laughs> what do they grow up into? That is how crocodiles and alligators work, right? A young alligator is a crocodile. That's the thing. I was wondering uh-huh. where you were going with that, because do you think crocodiles and alligators are just like caterpillars and butterflies, or... Yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's exactly like that. You know, a young, a young alligator is a crocodile. In the same way Wait that, you know, the first couple years you, pr- you plant an apple tree, you just get pears out of it, and then after it's been growing for a couple years, it turns into apples. <laughs> right, okay. I once watched one of my dear, dear friends convince an entire table of college-educated people that that is how pears worked. Uh, and it was beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. He was just like, yeah, you know, it's just weird that for 10 years you get pears and then after that apples. I mean, it's really strange. Is he the creator of Look Around You? <laughs> Almost, yeah, basically. You were going to say something, Dan? No, no, there's cherry-filled chocodiles. Like blood, like blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm more worried about the cherry-filled chocodiles because there's no way that's a cherry. What is that? It's science cherries made in a science lab. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, science cherries don't sound as bad as they should. Oh, no, science yeah. does good things. Yeah. Some molecular gastronomy cherries. Mm-hmm. Some sort of cherry, like, foam, cherry-flavored foam. I'm not, I'm not anti-science. I'm just anti-non-real food filling. You're anti the overlap of chocodiles in science, which I think is a fair, a fair standing. I think, you, I think it's ground to stand on. Uh, Dan, here's the deal. Amazon has a great return policy. You just order all the chocodiles, one of each, uh-huh. and then you send back the ones you don't like. Say, hey, these are stale. Uh, these don't have the the scaly consistency I'm looking for in my chocodile, so um, take it back. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna get the regular ones. I'm gonna get the cherry ones because there's only four left of the cherry ones, so I have to get them. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could. You should Adding do that. two cards. If if a chocodile actually gets up and starts running away from you, is that good or bad? Like, is that a bonus? No, is that's that a bonus feature. That's. A- that's exercise. That's me working for my <laughs> That's true, actually. Who manufactures the Chocodile, and why won't they sponsor our show? It is Hostess, or whatever version of Hostess exists now, so... You should yeah. bleep that brand name, Matt, until they give us some cash. Yep. That's a really good idea. We're going to bleep. Nobody will ever know we're talking about Hostess or Chocodiles. By the way, Dan did just come up with a solution for obesity, food that runs away from you. I mean, I understand that that's yeah. what, uh, like, a gazelle or a lion... I mean, who's eating a lion? That's that's what food used to be, but we should just make new food. Like basically, like how a treadmill is just like a stupid form of walking. We mm-hmm. should just make new food that's got legs. Well, did you see my tweet from yesterday about the treadmill that dispenses food at the same rate you're burning calories? No. So celery that's is basically just what celery is. <laughs> well, well, I think you should be able to choose. You should be able to choose. So, like, you can say maybe you get some celery every minute or two if you're walking along. Or maybe you save up and you walk for for ten minutes and you get like a single cheese it. 
uh, or, you know, you walk for an hour and then like a donut pops out. Uh, you can, you know, kind of configure it. So to me, that sounds like the least popular invention of all time, because doesn't that just like instantly negate all the good feelings where you're like, oh, I just did all the, oh, I just ruined it. See, many people asked me this question on Twitter. First of all, they, they thought I was talking about a serious thing, I think, which is funny. And also they were like, no, you're just net, you're just netting zero on the calories. And this is not a way to lose weight, people. This is a way to eat more food without guilt. Yep. Uh, this is clearly not a solution for, uh, for dieting, but this is just a way you can eat more food without feeling bad about it. But have you ever heard that about celery, that because celery is mostly just water, that by eating celery, you're actually burning more calories than you're putting into your body? That might be the case. That sounds a lot like a, like a myth, but I've heard it a couple of times. Well, there are some foods that are zero calories, like mustard has no calories in it. You can eat as much mustard as you want. That's not real, is it? No, it's true. Like if you have a, like a honey mustard, that's got calories or like something with additional stuff added in. But pure mustard, zero calories. Same with uh, like pepper, I think. Uh, a lot of spices are, are totally calorie-free. Um, there's some other things. There's other things that are calorie-free. You can like Google zero calorie foods. There's a surprising amount of things that just don't, no caloric value whatsoever. Well, actually, if I've learned anything from cartoons, pepper reduces your calories because of all the sneezing. Yes. That's exercise. That's true. Tom and Jerry taught me that. Just make sure you snort it instead of eating it. That sounds like a thing you do as a teenager and think it's funny until somebody like uh, loses their shit and starts crying. <laughs> oh, like the, the was it the cinnamon challenge? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. That, right? Oh, we got yeah. Billy to stir pepper. Oh, Billy, what? Why are you crying? Oh, get Billy's mom. Somebody. <laughs> Billy. Sorry. It's funny because I thought you were going to say like, it's funny until someone gets hurt. But then I realized no one gets hurt snorting pepper, really. And then you were like, until someone cries. And then, you know, the fun is over. There was a there was a moment in my teenage years where like every, like everything was just a bet, right? Like, oh, I bet you can't eat that. I bet you can't eat that. Yep. Until yep. the moment that- it got real when somebody ate a spoonful of mayonnaise. Oh, what's wrong with that? Uh, or may- it was more than a spoonful. It, it was a lot of mayonnaise. <laughs> oh, a jarful. It was a jarful of mayonnaise. <laughs> it was it was That's enough terrible. mayonnaise that they got they got pretty sick and we got pretty grossed out pretty fast and we were like, why why are we doing this? Why are we? Who thought of this idea? We're all we're monsters. <laughs> you are talking about a very specific point in childhood development where the greatest currency of all is just the dare, right? Like you, you can't turn down a dare. I bet you won't eat that ant. Oh, I bet I will. Yeah. What is what is that with that that sort of chapter of, of life where that you can't possibly turn down a dare? Is it is it when you're at your most sort of fragile? Your ego is so new I think that's and what it fresh. is. It's when it's when peer pressure is at its absolute peak. Yeah, like like literally, like if a peer says do it, you're like, well, this is life. I have to do this now. It's it's my biological impetus. And I also I I don't know why. Like I feel like I'm sure girls have their own version of this, but I feel like this is very much a little boy thing too. Yep. The the uh, peak of the gross out dare. Like I don't think oh absolutely. gross out dare maybe yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. Oh, I'm talking about gross out dares. I'm sure there are other forms of the dare, but I'm talking about eating bugs and mayonnaise. At the same time, it's funny because <laughs> bugs, bugs now. I would eat, I would eat bugs without without issue now. I don't see that as a as a brazen thing to do. Mm. Well, most bugs. I should. I don't think I'm eating ants still. I would I used certain... to dare people to eat ants, but I don't think I'm doing it right now. Mm. Well, Andy, we're gonna be hanging out this weekend. We can dare each other to eat uh, ants. It's so exciting! It's coming. It's so soon. I've had such a crazy week at work that I can't wait for that weekend, boy. It's gonna be great. I know. Me too, actually. I've had like what's, every What's your girlfriend going to do when we're hanging out the whole time? Are you just going to like set her free in the city? I was just going to kind of let her wander through the city. Uh, yep. I'm going to hop off the train station and say, good luck. Going to hang with Andy. See you actually, later. You know, you know what you can do? I, I know quite a few buildings we could just get her lost in. 
Uh, there's a couple museums around here that you make make a few turns. I know my way around, and all of a sudden she's stuck in there forever. And uh, you and I are free to just talk about fonts or whatever. Yeah, that's pretty much what I thought was going to happen. So let's just God, do that. I really hope people listening know that I'm joking when I say talk about fonts. It occurred to me they might not know I'm joking, and then that would be the worst. So, so they they were like on board. Or they weren't on board, like everything up was a joke until now, and then the font. Well, was like, no, maybe maybe this is their first episode, and I see. they're 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 testing the waters, and they're like, are these guys, are these guys cool, or are they some graphic design fuckboys? And then I just said we talking about fonts. <laughs> maybe they think we're graphic design fuckboys. <laughs> you know, I've never really heard the term fuckboys outside of like killer mic raps, but I very much like it. What is the origin yeah, it's of fuckboys? It's a really, it's a really good, it's a really good slight. Is it? Uh, is it? I don't like, know what the origin of it is. Do you think is it like Atlanta based or something, or is it just like outside of my cultural it's, reference? It's got a, it's got a southern a southern ring to it. I got I got to guess it's southern rap. It comes from, uh, but uh, I don't know the actual origins of it. We could look it up. Mm. I guess yeah. we have internet boxes, or we could just speculate. Do you ever feel bad though when you're like Google, like when you when you Google fuckboys and you find an Urban Dictionary and you're 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 researching it, but you're like, I'm so goddamn lame. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah no i have a lot of those i think i got over that i have i have no guilt about googling things that i don't know anymore i do it all the time mm. i think i have more embarrassment about not knowing about like a, a thing on twitter like if someone has an acronym i haven't seen before i'll be like oh man that's kind of bad but if it's like in a rap song or something i'm like that's okay i just worry i worry about the day where i'm like i'm old enough that i fall for a made-up acronym mm. like when we were growing up and the internet was first mm. first starting to become a thing and your parents would be, like, on the lookout for acronyms that they heard about on the news, but they weren't real. Oh, my God. This was totally a thing. You're right. Oh, I like, remember that. Oh, oh. Uh, like, I remember, like, a parent telling my parents, like, you got to look out if they ever write POS. It means parent over shoulder. And I was like, I, I've never heard of that. I don't know anyone who uses that, but good or to know, Or piece I of guess. shit, which is, yeah, whatever. I'm going to assume that that was, like, this is, like, the hunter, two of, like, trolling parents. I think... Somebody probably said, this will be funny. We'll make them say piece of shit over and over again, and they'll think it means something else. Well, let me tell you, boys. I'm in a good mood because I spent the whole evening stacking firewood. Congratulations. It sounds like there was a dot, dot, dot and a continuation, but nope. nope. Just No, I'm just... Hey, I, good I, work. I came home from work after refactoring bunch of css all day which i also like doing but in a different way mm-hmm. good thing you added that css point or we would have thought you went back in time oh yeah okay, there you go yeah i, I milked Context. some cows then i churned some butter and uh then i moved some firewood around mm-hmm. um i don't know it just feels good to come home after a long day of writing css and just move some wood from here to there half a cord <laughs> it stacked it all feels up. good after a, a long day of not work to come home and do some work yep. yeah some some non-manual labor and then do some real labor anyway you don't seem very interested in my firewood stack so let's get on to the bot no i'm just i'm, I'm curious about your firewood stack it, no, it no, sounds it like a be. wonderful yeah, transition it's fine it could be a segue we don't know right hey you know what stacking firewood's like robots oh, i was gonna say manual labor which is a lot like jobs which oh! is like the opposite of robots burn Woo! man we're so good at segue <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm in awe of how good we are at podcasting. <laughs> Matt, I, I, th- I think we should uh, should give Dan some some career advice here. 
there you know he's been talking a lot subconsciously you know i think he's been sending some some messages to us that he really i think i think dan would be a little bit happier making video games uh, wait and really how where where, where do you get the skills to make a video game these days i mean what a huge topic to to possibly breach um what could he possibly do matt if you want to invest in yourself this year and start learning something new, there's this site called lynda.com, and you can get a free 10-day trial. Linda? Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com. That's my mom's name, but spelled different. Right. It's spelled with a Y. And it's used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, uh, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. But I'm also willing to bet there might be something for Dan in there. Oh, mm. I don't know. Like creating mobile games with Unity? What? Being a game maker? No. Programming games. Really? Yeah. Seriously. Dan, this could be you. Take take that time you spend, uh, I don't know what you do in your personal time, but don't stop doing that, whatever it is, and invest in yourself in lynda.com pretty soon, Dan. You're going to be the next notch. And here, I'm going to tell you something else, Dan. All of their courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the site every week. So whether you want to invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, or find a new job, or even improve on your current skill set, lynda.com has something for everyone, including Dan. What is Dan going to do if he doesn't have the scratch? He can't afford to invest in these high-quality, expert-taught learning materials. Guess what? Our friends at lynda.com are offering you a free 10-day trial, and all you have to do is you go to their website. But go to their website provided by us. Thanks to On The Grid, you can go to lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash O-T-G, and you're going to get unlimited access to every course on Lynda. You're going to be able to view these on your tablet, your iPhone, or your Android mobile device, and they're going to add new courses every single week. Um, they even they even recommended some additional courses. Besides the gaming, you can learn about Adobe's Lion Sketch apps, you can learn about the science and logo design, and you can watch the full Gary Huswit documentary series. I know Dan even just, Dan just ordered the book, the Gary Huswit no, 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 set. No. No, no, I, I did the Kickstarter. It just came Dan in kickstarted. today. Yeah. That's how much we believe in those Gary Huswood things. Heck Dan yeah. kickstarted it. Anyway, if you want to watch that trilogy, Helvetica, Objectified, and Urbanized, you can do that. 10 days is 240 hours because you're not going to sleep. You're gonna, it's your free trial. You don't sleep during your free trial. You get that case of Surge, and you go on a learning binge. Yep. 240 hours, that's like, what is that, like six credits in college? Think of how much you have to pay for that. You just stay up, drink and Surge, you go to game college, and you know what, Dan? I, here's what I'm going to say. You, you live broadcast this entire thing. Ten days of you drinking Surge, learning how to make games. And then, you know, you, you can you can monetize that feed. Mm. So, Dan, go to lynda.com, lynda.com slash OTG. Go ahead. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. That was adorable. So, we built a robot for our Twitter presence. Uh, mm -hmm. Why did we decide to do this, boys? That seems reckless. What if a robot says something racist? <laughs> I mean... Well, it's based off of our tweets, so... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, me and... The, the tweets is taken in from me and you, Andy. We're safe, but Dan's a wild card. I don't know. It's probably going to say something racist pretty soon. I mean, <laughs> I think it's interesting because oftentimes these Twitter bots are kind of... I mean, they're, they're an interesting art form to me, right? Like, you can make a bot that does anything and it's an interesting medium because it's like directly connected to people and it can be reactive and responsive to whatever's going on on the internet whatever people talk to about it it's a very interesting kind of dynamic uh human way to like make something uh, but very few of them are like practical some of them that are more practical we've talked we've talked about like congress edits before right where it's an right. interesting bot that shows I, you the I wikipedia edits, edits that are happening from congress's ip addresses right uh, which is you know 
uh, I think oftentimes more of a kind of uh, curiosity than it is like a utilitarian thing, but it's doing something practical, right? Like that's, that's at least a task. Right. Hypothetically, you're, you're making sure that Congress is in check, like yeah, percent of the time, nothing real comes of it, but yeah, but my favorite bots though, are like the ones that will retweet uh, two tweets that randomly found that rhyme and are both an iambic pentameter uh, or ones that behave like a robot teenager or a robot dad, uh, the ones that are just kind of fun. Um, but I think our, our Twitter bot is is pretty practical because we basically, I feel like we've all kind of wanted to have a Twitter presence for a while, a more concrete one, but none of us wanted the duty or the responsibility of running that account. And then if we were running an account, we'd have to like talk and agree about what the account was going to do, and it would be like a whole thing. Uh, so instead, we just built a robot to do it, which I think was a nice practical solution to the problem of wanting to be on Twitter, but not uh, not actually do it manually. And I I, th- I would think we should say that, like, it sounds funny to say, like, we don't want the responsibility of taking on a Twitter presence. But the the truth is, like, if you're going to do anything well, if you're going to do that well, it does take some time. Like, mm-hmm. it could be, you know, it's it's so it's some work you've, to run a Twitter bot and do a good saying. job at it. You've heard the old saying, if you're not going to do it right, don't do it at all or build a robot to do it for you. Not that well. And then you can at least blame the robot instead of yourself. So what we actually decided to do was we took essentially what horse ebooks did. like we're mimicking horse ebooks right uh but we're taking a little bit of andy a little bit of dan and a little bit of me and we're mashing them up and randomly spitting out versions of our tweets at various times of the day is that an appropriate way of phrasing what you did andy you technically built it sure i technically took someone else's code and built it uh no i i used the heroku ebooks which is a script that uses markov chains to mimic the ebooks thing and i modified it slightly uh, you know, we we added a little emoji in the beginning, and I took out some of the ebooks uh, patterns that I think are a little more obvious, and kind of like pared it down just to the stringing together of random Markov chains. There's not like arbitrary capitalization and arbitrary dropping of the last word and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did this for myself uh, like three weeks ago out of curiosity, and also because I wanted to give this assignment to a workshop I was teaching of graphic designers. And so I had to prove that it was easy enough to do for somebody that's more or less non-technical that I could justify giving it to people that didn't have any technical uh, background. Um, And I was able to do it from scratch in like an hour and a half. So I figured that was good enough that I could make a student do it. Um, But it was, it's very like, like selfishly and egotistically, it's very interesting to read my own robot, which just spews back my own tweets or my own words and thoughts, but chopped and screwed. Um, so I, I thought I thought it'd be an interesting thing to do for the show, and we decided to do it. And I think it's been kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, medieval and fun time. Uh, oh, I sh- I should just pull up a couple of examples because I don't yeah. even have them up. Yeah. Here we go. Genetics are crap. Lots of swearing. <laughs> oh, here we here's a great one. Manhattan mini storage bought a theater in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> random. The the fourth tweet that my personal robot sent out was they used the wrong font in all caps. And I was just like, well, I guess this works pretty well <laughs> in a dark way. Um, I actually, I actually, I, my bot's only been up for a few weeks, like I said, but I actually have already had to delete one that came out like totally insensitive. Um, oh, there was a, there Ooh, was a why, guy. Actually, why would you do that? It's a robot. Well, so <laughs> because they're, and this is, this is kind of a downer story, but we'll, we'll still remain positive about it. Um, I hired this guy like three years ago to start building me a custom bike frame, which is a lengthy, a lengthy process. Um, so like I went to this guy's house and got measured for this bike frame and, uh, you know, talked to him a whole bunch, was emailing him back and forth, went up there again to like exchange parts and like was planning this thing for years with this guy. He's been working on it. 
um, met his family, met his kids. And then uh, a month ago, he was killed by a drunk driver on his bicycle. And Whoa. I tweeted a little bit about this guy uh, being killed. And my Twitter robot uh, decided to chop up a tweet. And I didn't save a picture of it. I forgot what it said. Uh, but it basically chopped up a tweet and said that uh, the cyclist that got killed was drunk and also some other bad things about him. And I was like, you know wow. what? Not cool to have my bot talking trash on a dead guy that I knew. So, uh, yeah, I had to leave that one. I <laughs> uh, didn't feel oh. good with that being out there. Oh, man, um, Andy's like the new Coca-Cola. No, I'm, I'm genuinely sorry. I, that yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I awesome. don't, have to be, but, don't have to be. I mean, I'm, I'd be sorry for this guy's family. Like, I, I knew him a little bit. Uh, it was more just shocking because I knew him at all. I, I don't think I've ever had anybody I know personally get killed that way. So it was, it was very shocking. And I'm a bit riding a bicycle myself. Uh, it's also, you know, very upsetting. But uh, no, it was just like I had like I happened very quickly. I wondered when I made the bot, like, is this going to tweet anything I'm going to regret? I, I honestly, I thought no. I thought if I tweet something that like seems accidentally like insensitive, I'll probably leave it up there because it's a robot. And I think everyone knows that. Uh, but this I was just nope, nope, not comfortable. That's coming down for sure. Yeah. Um, so and like no, like nine people follow the, the bot too. It's not like anyone would have even seen it, but I still felt uncomfortable about it. Um, so we'll see if uh, if our on the grid bot does something similar, goes rogue. Yeah. I'm curious to see if it does. I actually, I spent this, I don't know why, it's just Twitter bot time. I spent the weekend building a Twitter bot and uh, it already gained self-awareness and tweeted exactly what it needed to. And I could, I'm going to let it run, but it's pretty much done. It did its job. Um, an account called Gronk Books. Yeah. And uh, what that means is Rob Gronkowski, the tight end of the Patriots, when he was on Jimmy Kimmel, like after he won the Super Bowl, he was, he was asked to read from the jokey, erotic novel that somebody wrote and put on amazon kindle um called it gronking to remember and then when <laughs> jimmy kimmel when jimmy kimmel asked him what, what the actual the last book he actually read was he said uh gee i don't know i haven't read a book since like ninth grade i think like a mockingbird to remember wow yeah so i made a robot that just spits out it takes two book titles and slams them together to make a nonsense book title but in in the like I put in a couple hundred books from my high school reading list, but just nestled in between, I put one instance of Tom Brady just to see what would happen because, you know, Tom Brady's his quarterback. Mm -hmm. And uh, it mashed up The Great Gatsby and Tom Brady to make The Great Tom Brady. And it tweeted <laughs> that. And I was like, holy shit, how did it know? How did it know? <laughs> it, I mean, it is, uh, it is interesting to me how, how compelling a lot of these bot accounts are. Like, I, I would never have guessed before... Twitter bots were a thing I was aware of that a algorithm essentially could entertain me so much. Like I, I remember talking to, remember in the early days of AIM, there were certain accounts that were just bots running on servers and you could chat like at dumb, them. Like dumb versions of SmartBot or whatever chatbot is, right? Yeah, smart exactly. Bot, right? That was it. Yeah. And you could like chat with it. And even when I was like a, in middle school, a, a child basically, like still I was like, it was a novelty for like two minutes. Then I was like, oh, this is extremely predictable. Uh, this is no fun. Uh, and even, you know, even when you, Matt, feed in the actual uh, phrases or the actual books that are going to be used as the, like, fodder, uh, yeah. and, and even when you know exactly how it's done, that it's just taking two of them and chopping them and putting them together, uh, even you can be surprised and delighted by something that sort of comes out. Uh, I think that's, that's, that is like a magic to me that I still, that I'm very, that's why I've been like, I don't know, doing bot stuff lately. Uh, and by doing bot stuff, I mean mostly just being a fan. Uh, right. I'm, I'm digging a little bit into a more serious... Uh, bot library but my back-end programming skills are extremely extremely negligible so well so what's so here's the thing about that like the the example of the great tom brady like the reason that was so exciting is because like it made it look like the robot had an idea of what it was supposed to be and what it was supposed to say mm -hmm. um 
But more importantly, like, that idea of, like, taking two unlike ideas and putting them together to create something new, that's a lot like my idea of what creativity is. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think the reason it's interesting is because it's almost as if the robot is displaying some form of creativity. Which, I mean, in a way it is, right? Like, right? that's the thing. Like, some people... I think it does a lot to debunk this myth that, like, creativity is this magical sprite of a muse you have to, like, chase around and wait for. It's just, You can just work at it, right? You can just sit down like a robot and start combining book titles and, oh, this one's funny. I made a new thing. That, that to me, is liberating, the thought that you can make something that is totally predictable and yet still totally enjoyable and interesting and surprising. But that's... And that's also kind of what I feel like I do a lot of the time. Like, whatever processes I've come up with are not different than formulas or algorithms of just like okay well you can't like you can't always just be wandering through the park and have an idea pop in your head those are the stories that people like to tell but in reality a lot of the times what you're doing is you're like going at it doing the task like trying to come up with ideas and coming up with ideas is like taking a lot of different disparate things and putting them together in weird new ways and hoping that you come up with something you enjoy like it's experimentation it's not just like purely whimsical or something i think i said this in a show before but like the idea that you can program a robot to be funny is still just like a pretty staggering thing to me too right uh that these twitter bots are most of them i think a lot of them are programmed for humor right they're programmed to make people laugh right and that's something i feel like a lot of comedians would tell you that no it's not one way to do comedy that's not a thing that you can do you can't just you know make a program that spits it out but you you truly can like that's a thing that happens well i think i'm sure the argument would be more that like that's not the only way to make a joke, but there no. are formulaic jokes, and that's that's for sure. Like, there's the jokes where you just say, you say a thing that everyone expects at the end of, and then you turn in a completely different direction, and it's funny because the end was not expected, right? Like, uh-huh. there are formulas in which you can create jokes, which are what, that's, I mean, that's what a lot of Twitter bots succeed at doing, is taking well it's surprising because it doesn't even know what it's doing like it's surprising because nobody in the entire world actually knows what it's doing it's a random number right so of course it's surprising yeah see that's the thing that weirds me out is that like these things could technically be creative but it has absolutely no awareness that it is being creative so is it technically being creative at that point or is it just like ah, our like is it just our perception that this happenstance thing was calculated and spat out, and it's funny to me, and it feels creative, therefore it is. See, this is something that is, is really important to me. It's something I always tell all my students, because it took me a long time to realize it for myself when I was going through school, and if I had, I feel like I would have developed much more quickly and, and been smarter from an earlier age. But for me, like, it's so important to recognize that like design is not the creating of a thing. Like Creating of a thing is really not a... It's not like a, a hard thing to do. Anybody can create something. You can A robot can sit down and create something. A child can sit down and create something. Uh, that's not what is to be sort of praised and what you're, what you're supposed to like work on getting better at. What you're supposed to work on getting better at is evaluating the things you've created and figuring out their strengths, figuring out their weaknesses, and then mm. taking those lessons over to the next thing. So the day we have a Twitter bot that can... Uh, oh my god, maybe someone's already made this. A Twitter bot that will actually look at like, I don't know, favorites or retweets that his tweets have gotten and then like machine learn itself to produce more <laughs> oh, tweets man. like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> until we have that, I, I would argue that you're right, Dan, it's being creative, but it's not doing the evaluation step. So it's not improving, it's not getting better uh, on on its own. I think a lot of times the creators will go in and modify the the scripts that are running to sort of tweak them and make them more what they want the bot to be. 
but but yeah th- that is the crucial difference like that's the human aspect is that we look at ourselves and try and improve the things we want to improve and and th- that's yeah. so important so when people tell me like i didn't have an idea so i didn't do anything i'm like that is, has nothing to do with not having an idea it has everything to do with you being lazy and not understanding that the creating of something is not hard or challenging or special uh the special part is when you make a bunch of things and sit down and figure out what's working where and why and tie those threads together and and i mean the other angle to hit dan's question is like does it matter if it's aware that it's being like does it matter if it's where and that that makes what makes it creative like you could go you could go take it to another extreme and be like i am completely solipsistic and i am the only person in the world that exists and everybody around me is just a robot that's spitting out things and i'm the only person that evaluates whether they're good or not i could see making that argument as well and saying like well it doesn't really matter you could you can decide to define it as creative or not it's just another idea that you get to say i like it or i don't like it or i you know here are the reasons that it is valuable it's just like one more input in your brain The point of view that I have is that like we have created our definition of what creativity is. Like we've that that's set Whoa, within very That's fucking meta. I know. We created the definition of creativity. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to let that one fly, but and, I know. Andy is hella faded right now. Um anyway, hella faded. <laughs> I've never even done a drug. I should probably do a drug <laughs> at some point. Andy's so anti-drug. He thinks drugs come in units of drug. Yeah. No, it's weird. I'm not even anti-drug anymore. Can I get three drugs of, of pot, wow, please? One drug, please. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get back to what you were saying, Dan. But I'm not even anti-drug anymore. Like, I, as a kid, I think I just it was a goody-two-shoes. I did whatever I was told, and that was against mm-hmm. law, so I thought mm-hmm. it was I should not do it. Uh, and also, like, I was, I was a very picky eater. I just didn't like new things. If it was something I was unfamiliar with i generally avoided it uh now i'm an extremely adventure seeder i'll eat anything that i go into any country and someone tells me is edible like that's just part of what i think the, the sort of flavor of life is so i really should mm-hmm. be interested in drugs but i don't know yeah. not, i don't know not really interested in that much nope. i feel like it would be fun but also for some reason like on a low low level i feel like i still shouldn't do it well, i don't know you do what you want man i know I, i'm not feeling any pressure which is nice but i just, I, w- I would expect myself to be like pro drugs now i'm not i'm certainly like pro legalization of marijuana and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. like go for it everybody uh i'm, I'm pretty much for anybody if, if you take away the horrible uh life ruining uh habit forming drugs that destroy people's lives uh i think people should just be able to do whatever they want you know freedom that kind of stuff i'm actually kind of pro almost any drug in that i think it nobody should go to jail for those things um, oh yeah no i i i just yeah no i, I agree about that like, I'd pretty much prefer, like, even if you wanted, like, if you're addicted to heroin and, like, you need heroin to get by. Jail's not going to help. You should be able to get treatment or heroin. Like, I don't think anyone should ever go to jail for doing that. Yeah. If you stab a guy because you're on meth, then because you stabbed a guy, but not because you bought meth. Like, I don't think that's yeah. going to solve the world's problems. Yeah, <laughs> drunk drivers kill people all the time. And yeah, yeah people, exactly. And you legal. don't go to jail for drinking. You go to jail for hitting people with a car. I don't know why that concept can't um, permeate American culture a little bit more, but doesn't seem to be catching on at all well let me catch on a little bit 10 years ago pot wasn't legal anywhere and now it's all over the place but still people like are the same arguments get made well yeah but some people also still argue the earth is flat like i, I think there's some arguments that will never go away no matter how yeah, you much. hear that thomas friedman yeah take that as a literary joke um we're <laughs> <laughs> a literature podcast now yeah No, where where I was going at is that like 
we set the bounds of uh, what we consider to be creativity and that if we make something, if we create something that's supposed to have some sort of level of intelligence and it spits things out, like it has absolutely no concept of creativity in the same way that a human being does. So like the reason that I was like, I feel uneasy about it is to say like, we're basically making a machine to reenact something for us that isn't actually authentic. Like, it just still feels weird to me that it's like, it's spinning something out. It doesn't even know why it's just doing some sort of function where, uh, for us or for like a human being, they could try to do something or they, you know, attempt to do something that is very similar, but there's still some level of cognition about it where they're processing it differently. I don't know why I'm, I'm going to come to the defense of robots so much, but like, would you make a similar argument? And they like, let's say, let's say Andy really enjoyed chopping wood mm-hmm. and I do. he's really proud of himself for, for chopping, chopping firewood and bringing it inside. There are log splitting robots. There are log splitting machines. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get that sense of satisfaction when they finish the job, but ultimately you have a pile of wood. Does that matter? Is there, is there any difference between those two things? I mean, I do think there's a difference, but there's no functional difference. Like, what is the intangible thing that makes humans uneasy about that? That poor robot has no satisfaction in his wood chopping. Yeah. We seem to be kind of fine with that right now. Yeah, I, I like, I think where, like, I feel like where I am with, with it is that, like, Andy enjoys the chopping of the wood to be able to make firewood. I do. Yeah. And it's like, it's the enjoyment, it's the satisfaction, it's the, the emotional things that are attached to it, which is the key difference. And, See, and, I don't think it is that. I, I think it's the physicality of it. I think there is one of my, my biggest regret about the work that I do for my job and like, I mean, frankly, the work I like to make most, I love making things on a computer, uh, is like the, the total lack of physicality. There's no like muscle memory for making a website. There, there's, there's none of this like involving your body and getting your heart pumping and like feeling truly invested in something. You just sit in a chair you slowly get all sorts of repetitive stress injuries and health problems, and you keep <laughs> tapping away on these keyboards. Uh, I, I really think like there's a there's a really tight, strong connection. I think between like doing something physically with your body, with your whole body, uh, and like feeling some level of of sort of uh, satisfaction from that. Um, I, I don't think it's an emotional thing. I'm not like looking at the pile of wood and getting misty eyed, uh, but the but like going out there and like you know, splitting some wood for a while. It just, it feels good to be a physical force in the world and to like do something. No, but that's what I'm saying though, is that like, if you go and do that, like the emotional thing that you're getting out of it is satisfaction. Like if, if you just go get a robot to chop all the wood for you, like you miss that opportunity for that sort of satisfaction. I want to smash my atoms into other atoms in the world and change things. Just yeah, smashing around. But I mean, the, the thing we're getting to is something deep and depressing is that like, no, none of us are enjoying our work nearly as much as we should be enjoying Well, but it. no one is. Like, the- We're, We talk about process. Like, we've come up with a process that means that I can have... I Look at, look at all these ideas I can generate. Look at all, all these jobs I got done. Look at our process. Isn't our process wonderful? It's like, do you like your process? Are you enjoying? Because I guess, I mean, it's, uh, it's the most obvious thing in the world, but, like, I'm sure everybody's gotten to the end of, of something and been like, oh, it's just over now. It's not, I'm not doing it anymore. It's just done. Fuck. We're getting a little bit down the jobs road, but I feel like there's this white whale of like the most satisfying job. Uh, I, I, like, I don't think a, a job is in, inherently or fundamentally, even for an individual person, like 
the wholly satisfying. I think it has so much to do with just your attitude going into it. Like, sure, I wish my job had more of a physical aspect, but can I imagine a job that is totally perfect? No, if I was splitting wood all day, fuck, it'd be a lot more problems than if I was just making websites. Like, no, there's nothing, no situation where every variable is totally aligned. Uh, everything's a trade-off, and it's just a matter of just how emotionally and intellectually comfortable you are with whatever compromise you've landed on. Like, I, I love my job. I'm not trying to get rid of it, but, you know, I also love coming home and doing something with my hands, whether that's cooking. Uh, cooking is a physical act. That's another thing I like about that. Oh, you got your reference in. Good job. Hey, boom. <laughs> All right, listen up, people. I know you, just like me, you probably zone out when you hear a Squarespace ad coming. Uh, you know what this product is, you know what it does, and you know what, you're probably a designer of some sort, or even a developer. I bet you can make your own website without Squarespace. You're a real pro. But here's the deal. Squarespace is here to make your life less painful when your grandmother calls you, and she wants a website for her pie stand. Or your aunt calls you, and she wants a website for her kid's soccer team. Or your cousin calls you, and he wants a website for whatever business your cousin is running wherever he lives. Or let's say your real, actual mom runs a site about her theater company, and she calls her son and says, My site broke. Can you fix it again? You say, Mom, I've got an idea for you. I can fix it forever, Mom. Because Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for your ideas. It's simple, powerful, and beautiful. And for your mom, for your grandma, for your aunt and her made-up business that Andy said, they have 24-7 tech support via live chat and email. Andy, what do you, what do you think this might cost? A million dollars? A billion dollars? Here's the thing. If you came to Friends of the Web and wanted us to build you a Squarespace website that you could build on Squarespace, it would probably cost you five figures. Not going to lie. Uh, it's a lot of work to build that shit from scratch. I would use Squarespace. Use Squarespace! Well, guess what? Squarespace is only $8 a month. That's a lot less than five figures, people. That's one figure. <laughs> you sign up for a full year, you get a free domain. Not only that, every template is responsive. That means it scales to fit any device. Obviously, our audience does that. Why do we say that? It's responsive. You said responsive? The six figures. It gives you a free store with every page and has a new feature called cover pages that allows you to set up a beautiful one-page online presence in minutes. Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code GRID to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for On The Grid. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and On The Grid. Squarespace, build it beautiful. I'm serious though, like, when that phone rings at Friends of the Web, there is a, I'm going to say 60% chance that phone call is going to be me recommending Squarespace to somebody. Uh, that is usually what happens when that phone rings. Have I ever told you guys about the very first assignment I ever got in GD1? No. So I had this man for Graphic Design 1. His name was Bernard Kniff. He teaches now at the Minneapolis, at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. And uh, he's this little Welsh man, bald. And uh, he had this sort of tremendous reputation before I took the class of being incredibly harsh and punishing and his class was going to be the most grueling class you ever took and he was going to be merciless in critique uh, but you know supposed to be good and I, I was really looking forward to it because I had never had this kind of teacher like this that everyone describes as being you know the the like tough love teacher I had a long string of public school art teachers that would you know give me a little bit of critical feedback but mostly we're just there to you know I was excited for a new experience 
the first assignment he gives in GD1, you know, 20 fresh-eyed uh, sophomores, first class in the graphic design department in their major, uh, and he walk into the classroom and he hands you a piece of paper and it's got 35 words on it. Uh, and they're, they're kind of random words, but they're words he's kind of chosen, 35 words. Um, he says, all right, for homework, everyone's got to go home. And for each of these 35 words, you need to use free association and come up with 50 other words for each of the 35 words. Uh, so, you know, it gives you, what, seven, no, uh, times two divided by, uh, times 10 divided by two. So you have 350 divided by two times 10. So 1,750 words um, mm-hmm. is what you have at the end of that. Uh, so you have, you know, over 1500 words then he's like all right after you've done all that and we're like wow that's a lot of work that's like almost 2000 words he's like you've done that you need to draw a picture for every single one of them and bring it to class next week and if you don't come into this classroom next week with 1750 drawings uh you're out you're done uh you're not not in the class anymore um and he like tells you to draw them in a grid so you can you know he can count very quickly and make sure there are in fact that many of them you can't have like some patchwork of things uh so this insane assignment that we're all just you know like shaking because we don't even know if we're gonna have time to get it done and we're sophomores so we're not old enough yet to like fight against the man and think that it's cool (laughs) to not do your homework so you know everyone goes home and it's a grueling task to go and do all of these drawings and you know it takes 20 hours and i come into class next week and he counts them all up and the way the assignment pans out is uh, you slowly work from like 1750 drawings that you just did like a robot right like you are not being creative you are told to draw 1750 drawings that you're free associating off of these words you have no time to make a certain drawing nice or to like do anything that you've ever known before to identify as creativity you're just doing this work uh and the week after that i think we had to refine a couple hundred of them into like a more fleshed out like drawings it was really really elaborate and eventually like pared down until it became a branding assignment at the end we had to just like make uh three shapes simplified shapes that we kind of like pitch as like faux logos and came up with a company after the fact that it kind of could hypothetically represent um and at the time i was like oh he's just giving a really intense assignment so everyone gets scared and thinks he's really uh you know really a hard teacher and that's like his way to make a really intense first impression um, mm-hmm. and now only after i started teaching honestly and and long graduated did i realize that what he was doing was completely eliminating anybody who could possibly say that they didn't they weren't didn't they weren't inspired they couldn't do the assignment and completely eliminating the idea that uh you know your previous process whatever you were doing before which let's be honest none of us had a healthy process when we were sophomores in college for doing something creative he was throwing that right out the window and he was imposing this extremely rigorous extremely methodical process and basically turning the entire class into robots uh to sort of do his first assignment and at the end of it, I think everybody, I remember being very kind of pleasantly surprised at how interesting what I had done was after these five weeks of like incredibly intense uh, work. Uh, and at no point did I sit down and like have the illusion that I conceived of it. Like I, I created these things, like I, I did it, but I didn't like plan it. I didn't design it in the way that I ever thought of design before. Uh, and it's a brilliant first assignment because it, it does just break you of all of those, all those sort of prior associations and kind of like reset you onto like how to make something. So when you... When you look back on that now as a teacher, do you think of that like, one, a very valuable thing to learn, right? A very valuable kind of cracking the whip, showing you that you can create no matter what the circumstance is. But then do you also think this is an approach I want to take? I want to kind of beat the same lesson in? Or is there any is there any part of you that thinks like maybe we have a deeply flawed idea of creativity? Or is it just like we just, we just got to be better evaluators? That's all it really is. There's a lot of aspects to it. I, th- I think... I, it occurred to me, like, 
as I was preparing my curriculum for the GD1 class I taught a year or half ago or whatever, it occurred to me, like, I could give this assignment. Like, I realize now how brilliant it is. I believe it's a great assignment. I could do it. And I actually, I, I didn't have the guts. I didn't think I could walk into a classroom and actually tell people to draw 1,750 drawings in one week and, like, keep a straight face and not have them... I, I expected them all to go, no, we, we can't. Like, this is un- unacceptable. And of course they wouldn't. Of course they would probably do it and probably, like, the same way we did, like, talk behind my back about how, you know, mean I was. Uh, but, like, my, my impression was that they would just not do it. I guess it just comes from being not confident enough uh, and, you know, being a young teacher. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we do have a romanticized idea of creativity. And I think that's like creativity outwardly right like i think outwardly the the vision of how someone creates something is that it just comes to them magically in a dream or it just arrives fully formed yeah. and they put it together uh, and inwardly i think even more dangerously there is this kind of i think we all tend me especially and i've observed this in other people as well especially my students you really tend to fall in love oftentimes with the first thing you do that's passable the first thing you do for a particular project or problem that like is just acceptable uh you tend to really kind of become enamored with because it's like you made a thing and it, it works it solves the problem and it's like you kind of have this rose this rosy view of the world um and it's really important to like throw that thing out and like you know get rid of it because there's <laughs> way better ideas down the road and i think the biggest trap i fell into in most of my student years was you know just the first idea that was any good that came along i would just execute it and, you know, I was lucky enough that I could execute things and they would look good. They would look compelling and acceptable. Uh, but none of it was great. It was just me, like, doing the thing well enough to, like, put up on the wall and critique and be proud of. Uh, but I didn't have, like, the sort of self-criticism and the intellectual rigor to, like, throw the first 10 or 20 or 1,749 ideas out. There's, this is a thing I go through a lot. Um, and I feel like it's, it's, it's one of these moments where I, I just stay quiet, but in my head I'm just like... You have no idea. Do you, do you ever just you're in a meeting or something and somebody's just like, I don't know what to do here, but you're creative. You can handle it. Yeah. And you just want to be like, I want to tell you a secret. You're just as creative as I am. There's nothing about you that is but, like less creative. But here's the difference. I will go and I'll just keep doing this over and over again and I'll come back with an idea. But like, I don't think there's anything that is inherently more creative about me than anyone else in the entire world. I just have decided that I'm willing to go at it a bit. It's just how you're looking at that word, though, right? Like, to me, that word means what you said. It means, like, I'm going to go work hard on this, and I'm going to evaluate what I do with a very critical and a very thoughtful eye and mind, and that's creativity. Like, you do have that. This person could do that the same way that you could become a doctor, but you won't, and they won't, so they're going to hire you and give you some money. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I guess there's there's this thing about... The way we define creativity, and I don't mean we as in us in this podcast, I mean the greater we, is that there is something inherent about it, almost like the word talent, where you're like, Mm -hmm. what does talent even mean? Does talent just mean you did it a lot and you got good at it? Or is like, is talent the thing people attempt to say about athletes, which is like, they're just born with it. It's in their DNA, which is complete absurdity, but it, it it does seem to be this kind of continued belief that I don't know why we aren't shed of it. Like we, we do. And we allow that too. And when people talk about their kids or something, um, as if you're just like born with these skills. And I don't know if maybe that's something you see when you're a parent and it just becomes clear. And maybe that is true, but like, I just can't imagine that to actually be true. Like, I think it's just this weird cultural meme that continues because it feels good to think like, 
I don't know, maybe it has something to do with God. Like, well, God gave me this gift, and now I get to use it. Oh, it definitely yeah. has a lot to do with kind of giving up uh, control, right? Like, if you, if everybody truly believed that they could learn any skill and become anything they wanted to become, for it's, I know it's a you know cheesy thing to say, people truly believe that. I think that there would be. I think it would be extremely unsettling for a lot of people. Uh, and of but don't we have those two narratives at exactly the same time? There's the like, oh, well, this kid was just born with it and he's really good at it. And also, don't isn't every kid in America told constantly like you can do anything you want to do and you can be anything you want to be? Like That's how do thing. those two things exist at the same time and both are like very popular cultural narratives? Well, so here's what I think it is. I think people love to tell kids that because it, it is true. I, I think it is true. Uh, and of course, there's like, you know, it's a privileged position to say it's true because there's lots of people that are born in situations where, you know, the odds are really stacked against them becoming, you know, any kind of thing. So, but I mean, just like on a basic human level, like yes, if you were to on a biological hypo- level, like, hypothetically, right. Yeah. Like on, it's like a baby that is, arrives in the world, I would say, yes, unless you're, you know, so privilege aside, you know, for a, a biological level, I think it really is true. Like, I think anybody, uh, if, dedicated to something could do whatever they wanted to do and accomplish beautiful things uh whatever the definition of beauty is i I think that what ends up happening is people love telling kids that because it's true and because they see in themselves the missed opportunity to do that right like very few people i think arrive at middle age or at the end of their lives and go like i did everything i wanted to do and became exactly what i wanted to be i did it perfectly uh here's my beautiful dismount uh i think that people always have regrets naturally and so to tell a kid that is really you telling yourself that right it's you kind of reminding yourself that you could do anything you want to do and then the reality for everybody is that you won't do whatever you want to do you'll do whatever comes easiest whatever uh is the path of least resistance whatever you like most i think that some if you're really lucky that's what happens like uh i feel like i've been extremely lucky the thing that i ended up doing uh which is now i arrive where i am now is design uh came from me just kind of liking drawing when I was a kid. And because I liked it, I did it more. And because I did it more, I got better at it. And when I got better at it, people told me I was good at it. And that felt good. And then I went through all of my childhood doing drawing and art stuff because people told me I was good at it. And I didn't really like painting, but I painted because people told me I was good at it. And it's good to be told you're doing good things. And then I did all of that and arrived at art school with only a very vague idea of what design even was. Then once I was in art school, uh, only then really realized that I actually did really like design and kind of followed that path along the way. But none of that would have happened if I hadn't just really liked drawing muscly dudes and like fighter jets when I was five. Like that, that all happened to lead down this path because yeah. uh, I was lucky. I happened to, you know, something that I liked bloomed into some semblance of a career, uh, which I, I don't take for granted. I try really hard not to take for granted at least because it doesn't happen to very many people. Um, but that's, that's what happens, right? Yeah. You have the opportunity, you have everything laid out in front of you and you end up kind of, trickling down whatever path is easiest because as a kid you don't have the autonomy to be like i'm going i mean some people do like you hear like you know neil degrasse tyson when he was like you know in middle school was like i'm gonna run that planetarium and people were like yeah good one dude you live in queens and now he does Mm -hmm. uh so like some people i think do have enough drive uh and see a dream so visceral as at a young age they can like actually really drive for it but usually you just kind of you're a kid you go down whatever path uh, is most immediately rewarding and then you end up wherever you end up The thing that really comes to mind for me is that there's a very expansive amount of things that you could end up doing for a career or just something that you end up doing in life. And when you're a kid, you're only exposed to a very small subset of those things. 
so naturally you're just going to get funneled into something that you see at that age. Like it, for me, a lot of it was drawing and, you know, a lot of it was video games. And those are the things that as an adult, I've come to be mostly attached to. Like if those other things, like if I was more exposed to things around like military or like working on cars or something like that, then I I'm completely convinced that I would have gone down that route because that of, of that earlier exposure to it. And I think that another reason that we have the idea that so many people, I know I have talked to anecdotally so many people that went to college because that was the expectation. They came from a certain economic class in America. The expectation was you go to college. Mm-hmm. You don't not go to college. Not going to college is for bums. You go to college. Uh, so they went to college because they that was the expectation on them. And they went to business school because they didn't know what they wanted to do. And business school was the one that seemed least uh, specific and had the most like opportunity and you know paid pretty well. Uh, and they're just doing that because they didn't know what else to do. I, I feel like it's so much more important when I, this is, I'm so biased, of course, but mm-hmm. uh, I feel so lucky that when I was at that age, there was no question to what I wanted to do, right? Like I showed up on a campus at an art school and I was like, holy shit, yes, this. Like, I know this is perfect. I need this in my life right now. Uh, and if I didn't have that, I don't know. I feel like I would have been so aimless. And I feel like trying, like doing all you can to search and find that is so much more important than all the other pressures society puts on a person that age to, you know, show that they're on the right path by going to a good college or to like get a good job and like be on the right path to make a bunch of money. Uh, those things you end up with people that just don't care or do a pointless job or. Yeah. I mean, like that's actually how I started out in college is I originally went for computer science and the idea was that it was a really nice paying job. Uh, there was great job security. It was something that I could do pretty well, but like a year into it, into the actual degree program of computer science, I realized that, Hey, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was the rare person that jumped out of it and, you know, had a bunch of friends thinking like, oh, is he actually going to be doing anything at this point? Or is he just dropping out? Or like, what's the deal? And it was less of that and more of trying to realign myself with something that I actually did enjoy, which was design and, and things that were more creative. But that, but the strength of um, that feeling like, oh, if I get out of this, like I'm never going to make any money doing design stuff or like doing art stuff. And everybody else is doing stuff or degree programs that is going to have a nice paying job. So why don't I just do that and just do all the other fun stuff at night, you know? And honestly, other side of the coin after like the first couple years of starting my own business was some of the most emotionally trying times of my life. Um, I wasn't like a sad person, but like just really intense. Uh, I wouldn't even describe it as anxiety. Just the feeling that uh, everything was all of a sudden very important was a very hard thing to feel all the time. Having felt that, so much respect for people that just have a job that is respectable, that they like enough, that they go to, uh, but it's not something they love. They just go and do it, and then they live their life outside of that job. Uh, I think that's a totally valid way to live your life, Uh uh, which is, of course, the antithesis of everything I just said, but welcome to On The Grid, people. It's what we do here. My happy ending this week is a documentary called Tim's Vermeer, and it's the story of a guy named Tim, I believe his last name is Jennison, uh, a guy named Tim Jennison who is a computer art guy. Um, he's actually one of the creators of Lightwave. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, but it is some 3D software that is used, I believe, a lot in movie special effects. 
And he had this weird obsession with the painter Vermeer, who is known as like a very, like generally known as like a very technically skilled painter, right? Like obviously one of the masters, um, but like the reason people look at his work and admire it is because like the way he kind of managed to capture a scene and like get it so perfect, um, almost to this degree that people can't even understand how he can perceive light in the way that he does. And so what Tim kind of, Tim wondered that to like a very serious degree to the point of like, was he really painting the things that he could see with his eyes? Or like, did he use some totally different process based on his, his observation that like some of the, some of the light depicted in his eyes is like more what might be captured in a photograph and less what a human eye can actually perceive. Um, but this is a, at a time where like, if if there's any sort of camera technology, it was like the very basics of like a pinhole camera or something. Nobody was taking photos. He was living in the 1600s, 1632 to 1675. So the reason this is so interesting is he goes on this absurd journey to kind of figure out what his process might have been. Um, and I'm, I will not give away the whole movie because I think people should watch it and enjoy it for themselves. But he goes to the craziest degree to kind of figure out what his process what it might have been. Was he painting by eye? Was he using some sort of other device? Was he using any number of things? And what that also unlocks is like the way people talk about him. Like if as if the if he had been painting everything completely by eye and like completely the way you expect a painter to do something, then that means he is one level of skill. Whereas what if he is using some sort of machine to create these paintings? And that's just like he he was more of an inventor and his invention was a way to make more accurate paintings. Like, does that make him less of a painter? Does that make him a better painter? Does that just make him something else? Does that make him an inventor and not a painter at all? And it just brings you down to this this conversation about process, which is like in this documentary, process is almost what defines his profession and defines his legacy. And it's been explored so much further and later, like artists like Saul LeWitt or Ellsworth Kelly, or like the thing I couldn't help but think about is just what we do in our day-to-day life. And like, well, who get, you know, in my mind, who cares what the process is? Like, as long as the end result is great, what we were talking about with the Twitter bots, we were talking about the idea of creativity. Who cares how you come up with these things? Ultimately, if you can come up with these things and you can evaluate them and they are either great or insufficient or whatever they might be, like the goal is to make the thing and who cares how you made it? But it's it's a really an absurd dive into the idea of what it takes to create something new, great, and interesting. Uh, I definitely recommend it. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on iTunes. I will post the links to it. I think you'll enjoy the level of his obsession with trying to recreate the process of this painting. That has been on my list of movies to watch for years now, and I'm going to bump it up because of your happy ending. Good. You should do it. The other thing is it's directed by Penn Jillette from Penn and Teller. Ooh, um, oh, I didn't know that. Who is, I always, I think of him as a very interesting guy. He also happens to be from my hometown, which is like, there are very few people from, uh, well, hometown adjacent, but like my town's so small, there are only like 5,000 people. So I, I claim Greenfield is home territory, but um, really, really interesting guy. Like people just think of him as a magician, but I think Penn and Teller is like a very interesting way of dealing with magic and he always is working on some interesting documentary so um yeah pendulette made a great movie i really i like to think i mean the, the speculation is that you know vermeer had some other mechanism he employed to make these paintings and did it secretly right. because he would have been 
you know, not considered a painter or ostracized from the artist community if they had known he was using some kind of other new tool. Uh, I really hope that we collectively as society have come far enough that we can recognize that that is an act of creativity in and of itself. And, you know, the, the being the first person to do something like that uh, is just as important, if not more important an act than being a great painter on terms that are more familiar. Uh, I, I, I would hope that today that person would not do it secretly. It'd just be like, look what I invented to do this thing. Isn't it great? I actually, I do think our culture right now would, would reward something like that. Like, uh-huh. I, I think this is, it is of a time and like, we'll, we're kind of judging it by the time. Like, I think if it were discovered and completely proven, like, by the way, the movie doesn't go in, doesn't proclaim to prove anything. It's yeah, just it's kind like of an exploration. No, no, no. It's just an exploration of an idea. They're pretty clear about the idea that like, this is, a, we came up with a concept and we're testing the concept, but this doesn't prove anything. This doesn't mean he absolutely did it this way or didn't do it this way. It's just a way he might've done it. I think that if, if it ever came out that he absolutely did it, did it with a machine or something that we would judge him because of the context of his time. But I don't think that exists quite the same way anymore. I hope not. I don't know. Maybe depends. But I think if somebody pushed it to a, to an uncomfortable degree, going back to Twitter bots, I think if somebody came up with a, a brilliant logo and they came out and then they announced later after everybody had praised them that it was completely robot generated and all they did was pick it. I think we'd have a lot of mad graphic designers and you can probably extend that to a lot of other trades. And by mad, you mean scared. Yeah, of course we're of course scared. Angry and scared are almost the same emotion. <laughs> it's been on the grid, episode one hundred and two. If you listen to the show every week and you like the topics that we talk about, and maybe you want to talk about those things too, you should check out our subreddit. It's onthegrid.reddit.com. We use that as a place to kind of post all the links we think we might be talking about this week, things that interest us, or maybe things that are just kind of tangentially related to those topics or other episodes. Um, And the great thing is it's a place where you can comment on them and talk to us, and we're there all the time. So if you want to share an idea, we're there to talk back to you, or there are also a number of really great designers or non-designers who listen to the show who also happen to be there and might have something thoughtful to say to you. So if you want to join our tiny little community, if I dare say community, check out onthegrid.reddit.com. Thanks to Glassboy for the interlude music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. I was trying to think, isn't there a band that's named POS, but it's Point of Something is what it stands for? No, uh, there was POD. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Fable on Death. Oh, yeah. God. That was a real, that was, a, that was that the was peak a of new metal. And by the yeah, peak that of was new metal, me, I mean the worst of new metal. Which bad, is already, bad, bad, like, bad you shouldn't have to say the worst of new metal. That's being like saying, like, ah, that's the worst thing Hitler ever did. <laughs> wow. No, Matt, okay, uh, well, Matt my, my first concert, I'll go ahead and admit this. My first concert, not show, but concert, was mm. Godsmack, Ooh. Puddle of Mud, oh. Deftones. Oh, no, that's really good, actually. Yeah, uh, Deftones, were, they were the headliners, but uh, yeah, it opened with P.O. Or, not P.O.D., uh, Puddle of Mud. That was not great. That's P.O.M. Yeah. 
if you're a fan you call him p-o-m old palm old palm oh like, like the Dan, uh, you, you, Palmer, did, Palmer you said Granite. this is your first concert but not your first show what yes. what is the distinction there could you enlighten me Actually, yeah so, i know the difference okay go ahead matt Let's see oh, if okay, we're so on the same first, page. My first show would be like the first local band I ever saw, but the first concert yeah. would be like the first time you like went to a big venue and saw like a band from out of town. Is that your distinction as well, Dan? Exactly. Yes. Huh. Yeah. So like my first show was going to see Zayo in like some back room in a church. And then my first concert was the Godsmack and Deftones one. Always, always the Unitarian churches. I tell you, Unitarian churches are just the places for, for small yeah. shows across the country. Hey, sometimes exactly. VFW halls. By the way, what, do you think Zayo still has the same drummer? Uh, they switched in 2008, I think. So they're, they're officially a new band. Do you remember a period of time where like, the only consistent member was the drummer? Yeah. I yeah, think. no, I think it's the guitarist now, um, which is unfortunate. They're like, the, they're like the menudo of, of their genre. It's like the, uh, it's like the, hey, it's my grandfather's axe, and my dad replaced the handle, and I replaced the head. Exactly, yeah. That's what Zayo is. Yeah. What are we talking about? What's a Zayo? I don't... Oh, uh... This is a cultural reference point I lack. 